it's almost like a big black hole and totally terrifying, but also really, really exciting because there are so many different possibilities. And it was an opportunity for me to really think about what I liked in terms of being a lawyer and what was important to me and kind of touch back with myself in terms of why did you go to law school in the first place and, and get a reimagine what my practice would be like. Civil Action, the podcast of Cabotec LLP. I'm Brian Cabotec. I'm the founding member and managing partner of the firm. I'm also past president of the Consumer Attorneys of California, a former president of the Los Angeles County Bar. I'm heavily involved at Loyola Law School, chairman of the board of directors of the schools, and I've been involved in trial lawyer politics in Sacramento probably almost my entire career. And I'm Sean Kernick, and I'm one of the partners here at the law firm. My resume isn't as impressive as Brian's because I am a lot younger than him. But our podcast here, Civil Action, features important issues. We go over new legislation that's coming down, new cases that are coming out of various courts, both in California, outside of California. And sometimes we bring on guests and go over interesting topics. And sometimes we just talk about new issues in the law. Welcome back to Civil Action. This is Shant Kernikian. I'm one of the partners at Cabotec LLP. I'm joined today by a different co-host, but an exciting one. Some would say actually more exciting than my regular co-host, Brian. Joined by Marina Pacheco, another one of our partners here at the firm. Hi, Marina. Hi. Happy to be here today. We're doing an interesting episode today. We're not doing the typical covering nerdy cases that came down from the appellate courts or news happening in the law. We're actually interviewing a friend of ours, Alex Steele Cooper of Steele Cooper Law, who I actually went to law school with and I haven't seen in probably 10 years now. So it's kind of, this is, you're actually hearing a very real, natural conversation. And she's also a friend of Marina's. Say hi, Alex. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, Alex. Marina, you, you want to kick this off and, and tell us kind of what, what you wanted to talk to Alex about? Yeah. So, you know, Sean and Brian have invited me to talk on this podcast before, and I was excited to be asked back. It's a lot of fun. And one of the topics that had come up was leaving a big law firm and starting your own law practice. And I know that there's a lot of lawyers out there who want to start their own practice. And Alex is a friend of mine, and I've known her for quite some time. We used to practice together at a large plaintiff's firm, and she ended up starting her own practice that's been very successful. And I just thought maybe we could talk about the pros, the cons, and and a lot of advice that she can give to anyone who's thinking about starting their own firm and, and go from there. How does that sound? That sounds exciting, but you were invited back because you were people like you. That's why, unlike Brian, people don't like Brian as much. Uh, <laughs> you should probably be maybe like consider having you be a replacement to him. No, but yeah, Alex, that that's. I think that's an interesting issue because a lot of friends of mine, either after spending time at a at a firm or even straight out of law school, started their own practice, and that's something that I didn't never did for better or for worse. I, I never got to do that. I never did that. And I'm, I'd be kind of clueless if I was going to do that on my own. So yeah, I'd like to kind of hear your, your story on how, how that came to be and, and what that was like for you, Alex. Sure. Yeah. So starting my own practice had always been something that was kind of in the back of my head, like a little bit of a tickler. And as the years passed by and I, I actually had one child and kept, you know, was still practicing and it became more of a 
interesting proposition to me. And I decided that I would start to explore what it would look like or what I would really want it to be at a certain point. And the first step for me was really the imagination step, which is the part that is, it's almost like a big black hole and totally terrifying, but also really, really exciting because there are so many different possibilities. And it was an opportunity for me to really think about what I liked in terms of being a lawyer and what was important to me and kind of touch back with myself in terms of why did you go to law school in the first place and, and get a reimagine what my practice would be like. How far into like practicing or how long after like finishing law school was this that you were at this like first step of imagination or reflection? I started to think about it around the time that I was a fifth year lawyer and I didn't actually take the plunge until my sixth year. I've I've had my own practice now for just about four years. So yeah, I had enough experience under my belt to, to kind of know and be confident that I would be able to handle the cases. I knew enough about the law, about the practice. I'd been to trial a number of times. I felt, you know, fairly confident that when faced with big legal decisions, I would be able to make those on my own, which was one of the scary parts about deciding to go out on my own is like, okay, so who am I going to talk to about this stuff? Who am I going to, I'm not going to have, I mean, I have mentors in my world, but I don't have a mentor right down the hallway. So I, I knew that I wanted to make sure that I was in a place where I was confident enough that I would be able to make the call and move things along in a way that I felt like was the right way. I mean, to me personally, reflecting at at that point and yeah, that's kind of like the cusp of like when you know you have a little bit of that confidence where you like know enough, but it's still like, it's still scary. No, no, it definitely isn't easy. And that's why one of the the decision itself is not easy. I mean, doing it is not easy. I think everyone probably suspects that, but like the decision itself wasn't easy. I'm assuming. No, the decision was not easy. Once I started to think, oh, this is something I'm really going to do, I started to think about, okay, so what do I need to put in place in order to make it happen and to make sure that I have the safeguards, both from you know a financial standpoint, but also the community that I would need to support me in moving forward. You know, who am I going to call upon if I need to talk something through? Who am I going to you know, rely upon when I have another kid and, and and it's just me and my firm as the lawyer, you know, so building that, you know, legal community, people I trust and people I know that will, I will continue to sort of practice with in some ways because we're sharing ideas and we're working together. And so yeah. you mentioned the imaginative phase. What did you do during that phase while you were trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to make this work? How am I going to actually put this into practice? Well, I did a lot of internet stalking of other attorneys that I really (laughs) admired, frankly. I tried to look at their practices. I looked at their work product. I looked at the types of cases that they were filing. And then I reached out to certain lawyers that I really, that was inspiring to me and asked to have conversations and sat down and had conversations, asked them, how did you decide? What did you do? What did it look like? What does your day-to-day look like? How did you set this particular aspect up of your practice? Is that working? Do you have any, you know, and ask for for guidance and, you know, tips, essentially. And I forgot to ask this earlier, by the way, and this is how you know I'm like a bad interviewer or a bad, bad host on this show. So Marina, the bar is really low. You can really like 
you know, <laughs> crush it here. But I forgot to ask, what is your practice like now? What, what, what do you do? And then I also was going to ask, like, what did you start doing and how did that shift? And but, but what do you do now? What does the Steel Cooper law firm do? So I do pretty much half personal injury and half employment law. So I, I previously had almost exclusively focused in personal injury. But when I started my own practice, I knew that employment law was something I was interested in and I wanted to focus on more. And so that part has actually really developed a lot. I do a lot of single plaintiff, wrongful term, discrimination, retaliation, some wage and hour stuff. And that part of my practice has grown tremendously. But yeah, I'd say it's 50-50 still. So on the- How'd you learn that part of your practice? Because like you didn't have- that much background in it, right? So I had done some employment stuff at my previous firm, but it wasn't a very big part of the practice. And I studied a lot. I read a lot. I looked at, like, I read a lot of briefs of other lawyers that I knew were very prominent and successful in the in the field. And then the other thing is my husband, who is also a classmate at Loyola, is an employment law attorney. And that's all he's ever practiced on the defense side. So I've learned a lot from him. That <laughs> helps. Yeah. It really does. Like he's been a great mentor, kind of a tough one. And I don't even know that I want to admit that he, he is that for me, but he is, you know, he's helped me come a long way, I think in that area. You have your own like in-house, like sounding board, I do. And devil's advocate to like, you know, try to grill you on any any position you take so that's yeah dinner time is always very interesting marina can attest (laughs) to this the type of legal battles that we get into over over dinner is pretty entertaining i've been a first-hand victim of some of those legal battles (laughs) my my wife's an aircraft finance attorney so when it comes to the professional world i'm totally useless to her so it's kind of cool that your your husband can at least support you to that. But I, I, I bring nothing to the table when it comes to her legal work because there's no litigation involved. Well, speaking of that stuff, like how much did you have to tap into sort of your own personal network? Because at the end of the day, like, yeah, the work aspect of this is challenging, but it, we have lives and families and husband, children, like how much did you have to tap into your own personal network to ask for support when you're starting this and and going down this path? Hmm. So in terms of that, I mean, we definitely, for, for childcare purposes, like there's always, you're, you're building your, you have to rely on that anyways. Yeah. But one of the things that I had done in advance of this, just I, I made sure that I was shored up financially in a, in a way that I wouldn't, and at least in terms of being able to make it for the first two or three years, say I didn't make a dime and none of my cases settled, that I that we would be okay and everything would be you know, everything would be totally fine. So I just made sure I, I saved in that respect. And that required the support of my husband, of course, who, you know, needed to be fully on board with that. And, you know, a big cheerleader and advocate in terms of like making this particular dream a priority for me, which was really key. And then of course, you know, our family, we're lucky because my in-laws all live around us and have been able to step up. If if Jared is in a deposition and I have a deposition or I'm in court, you know, we can call at the last minute and be like, hey, can you pick up the kids? And they, and they always do. So we're very lucky that way. That's pretty awesome. But it just goes to show like how challenging it is. Like there's all this stuff you have to square away 
before doing it. And that's true, I think, for any working parent and particularly for people who are working in a firm where the expectation is the butt is in the seat every single day. And that's one of the huge benefits of having my own business is that I get to make make the hours that I work and I have the flexibility if I need to work after I pick up or I have to put put the kids to bed, I can do that. But that means I can be there for dinner. I can pick them up when they get out of school. And that I didn't have that type of flexibility when I was working for a firm when the expectation was that, you know, you better be in the office these hours. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like you're not, I'm not saying it's justified for people to have that expectation, but, but in reality, unfortunately people do, you know, when you're working for somebody else or as part of a bigger team or something. So, yeah, I'm assuming that's a very valuable freedom to have. It is. And it's one of the things that I've noticed a lot in the plaintiff's bar and talking to other women practitioners is that in order to be able to continue to practice after having a family, this was one of the only viable options that they found was to really figure out how to practice on your own or practice with maybe another one other person or two other people because the expectations in other types of firm settings just were not viable to be able to maintain the type of family life that they're interested in having, being able to be present for parts of your children's lives that I think are ultimately key. The goal is, you know, show up for your kid as much as possible, but also, you know, continue to move your practice forward and be as involved and as dedicated into your identity as a lawyer as into what you contribute in the world as a lawyer. And so this has been really great for me. And I've seen it be really great for a lot of other friends who have decided to strike out on their own. And it's interesting that you you bring that up because I know we've talked about this previously on the podcast about, you know, the attrition of women in the legal profession and reasons why women leave. And that's one of them is the lack of flexibility. You know, you, you can't, you were expected to be in the office from nine to seven every day. When are you going to pick your kids up from school? When are you going to be there to take your kids to their soccer games? So this might be a potential solution for some people to be able to have that flexibility. They can still be there for their children, but also have more flexible hours. Once the kids go to bed, they can get back up on that computer and get back working. And I think that's a really good thing that is available to us. And I think it should be. I mean, that should be, like I said before, it's not justified, but like in a firm setting or in a larger group setting, like for some reason, that's not acceptable to do that. Like, oh, I'm going to unplug for for the afternoon, be with my family, you know, because life happens and you got to take care of them. And not just for women, for men too. Men, Men should be, I think, men should be participating in all that too. And then, yeah, I'll hop back on after I'm done addressing those. And Unfortunately, it's kind of looked down upon or it's not acceptable. But if you're on your own or you have your own firm, you don't have to answer to anyone or worry about others' expectations, I guess. So that's a benefit, it sounds like, for sure. One of the questions I had was, what were the challenges that you encountered sort of in the early days, both you know, practical or, or business challenges when you were about to make that decision? Like past the imagination phase, you've made the decision, what what were like the challenges at that point? So I would say one of the major challenges was 
okay, so like, for instance, going into my first set of mediation solo without a partner, without, huh, frankly, another like male senior person to sort of sanction what it was that I was doing, or even anybody else to sanction what you're doing, to be completely standing on your own so that you build your credibility as an attorney on your own. People take you seriously, mediators take you seriously, opposing counsel takes you seriously. And I did honestly find that to be a little bit of a challenge at first. And that has gotten easier as people are like, oh, okay. So, and, and this is true also having entered into the employment law world, people didn't know me as an employment law attorney when I was first starting out. And so now they've built my reputation. It's easier now. People are like, oh, hey, good to see you again. And, and, and the conversation, there's a little bit of a shorthand now. You don't have to go through the whole, I'm proving myself as some who knows what I'm doing, knows what I'm talking about, and has, you know, the guts to take it all the way through trial or the ability and the skills to take it all the way through trial. So now that was a challenge at the outset, figuring out how to do things as simple as like your books and your accountant and, and not having ever focused on those things as and not having as much information about what that looks like from the perspective of running a business. You know, that was a steep learning curve, but totally doable. You just have to find the right people, the right resources and kind of climb that hill. Yeah. That's something I think about, you know, if I ever decided to go out on my own, the, the part that really terrifies me at this point, at least, because I think I feel at least in terms of needing somebody there to kind of be there at mediation with me. I feel like now I'm at a point because I, you know, you started out younger when you were, when you went out on your own. I think I'm comfortable with that. But I think the part that terrifies me the most is the business aspect of it. I mean, as lawyers, we're litigating day to day. We're not dealing with, like you said, the books and all of these other things that I've never had to think about. And that really terrifies me. What types of things did you do to make that easier? I read a lot. There are some resources out there that I relied upon, but honestly, it was interesting. I thought that it was going to be a lot scarier than it was. And once I started to like look at how the numbers were working and how it sort of lined up, I was like, oh, this is exciting. It actually became, it has become one of the more interesting parts of my practice. I really like the business part of it and the numbers and the even the accounting part, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> like it's, it's a different, it's a different thing than I thought it was. I, before I was always very intimidated, but you have also good advisors who can kind of give you a rubber stamp and say, hey, you know, you're doing this right. This is, yeah, you got it. We're cool. That's been helpful. What, if you can think of like specifics now, I know it's been years now since you kind of did this jump, but what did you read? Like, is there anything specific that you'd like recommend? Like you got to do this or check this out. This was helpful. I feel like, I think it's called The Lawyerist. It's a website that focuses on small firms and solo practitioners. And it has a lot of resources for people who are thinking about starting in their own form, you know, thinking about making changes to the infrastructure in their firm. It has information about different types of case management software or who you should be contacting for website building that basically lists and ranks different types of services that solos and small firms rely upon and gives you detailed reviews about these different services. And, you know, you can kind of tailor it. So I relied on that a lot. That was very helpful. I, I just pulled it up. Yeah, the lawyerist. This is pretty cool. They have they have like a whole book on, you know, marketing and different types of products and services, but then they have like their own field guide and 
scorecards where they assess like that that's pretty cool yeah I, like you know didn't know it existed wow so well shout out to lawyerists maybe they'll come and sponsor us no <laughs> they um, yeah. well it's um, funny of course alex would find you know the most helpful website because her and i started together as law clerks and we'd sit back to back and I'd always see her do a little happy dance every time she found the right case when she was researching. She was always a master at finding all the right cases and, and doing her research. So sounds like that really carried over into starting her own practice. And now I feel like I need to check out this lawyer's website. So <laughs> speaking of the business like aspect of it, how over the course of, I don't know, let's, let's not say a week, let's say like a month. How much of your time do you think, if you can split in, in terms of your work, how much of the time is like on your cases versus the business aspect of it? Kind of like the books and, you know, things like that. I should be better at tracking exactly how much time is spent in each spot. But as a plaintiff's lawyer, we don't have to <laughs> track mm -hmm. our time. I've never been great. We don't at have that. to. That's not, well, you, I mean, that's not you don't need to be better at it. You don't have to, so, right? In, in employment <laughs> cases, you do. But so... At this point, it's not nearly as much as it used to be. At the beginning, I would say that, you know, maybe 20% of my time because I was really trying to build the infrastructure and set up the various methods that I needed to use in terms, you know, how am I going to organize my cases electronically? How am I going to or organize my files? How am I going to deal with my payroll, things like that. Now all that's up and running, it's much smaller. I'd say like five to 10%, probably. Oh, wow. five. Yeah. That's a lot less than I would have thought. Yeah. Same. And the business yeah. development aspect is probably the more significant portion, but that comes in spurts because I, you know, I try and keep, I have my caseload and then at a certain point I'm like, oh, I need to reload. And then I'll spend a little bit more time on on business development for a period. And then it's, I, I kind of pull back because I don't want to have too much influx. So. Yeah. That's probably a good segue into the other thing I was going to ask about or to share some of my fears. You know, one of my concerns has always been whether it's about going off on my own or even as a partner at the firm, you know, where is the next case going to come from? Business development's always been sort of a top concern slash priority, even if it's going good, it's like, when's the next, how, how, you know, how are we going to make sure there's inventory down the line too? Because at the end of the day, yes, this is about helping people, but, but at the same time, you know, you could be an amazing lawyer with no business. So how did you go about addressing that? Or was that a concern of yours? To, it, it didn't sound like that was like the one of the challenges you were worried about at least, but did it become an actual challenge at some point? It was on. something that I was definitely worried about at the outset, but one thing that has proven to be true over the four years that I've been on my own is that the cases show up. I've been 100% a referral-based business. I do have a website and occasionally I get stuff coming in off my website, but most of it is referral-based. So that's, you know, my relationships, the people that I've worked with, other lawyers, opposing counsel, people that you know in your neighborhood you know, they, you talk to them and cases come in. It, I think that if I was trying to grow my business to be, to have, you know, 10 associates, we might be, ha we'd be having a different conversation. But yeah. given that my business model is really, you know, I carry 
a small number of cases that have been hand selected and I really do my best to work them up to their fullest extent possible. So I'm never going to be leaving any money on the table. And so it's, I don't want a crazy number of cases, but I feel like this particular setup for me has really worked. And I feel like if you have good relationships and people respect you as a lawyer, the cases kind of come. I mean, that knock on wood, that's what's been happening for yeah, me. So yeah. I, I don't want to <laughs> jinx myself, but. No, yeah, knock on wood. I mean, nor do you want to be the type that, you know, the type of lawyer that takes on, I mean, maybe some people do, but you don't want to be the type of lawyer that takes on every single case because then you're going to be spread too thin. Just based on hearing what you're saying now, it sounds like you're selective and that's because you want to give the cases that you take on the attention that they deserve and not just like, well, I got to bring them on because I got to, you know, I got bills to pay and I want to make a lot of money. It's like, no, you want to give, you're selective about them and you want to take on cases that you care about and that you can actually give the attention that they deserve. And that I think makes you an even more appealing lawyer to send cases to because it's like, okay, Alex is selective and she's going to give them the attention they deserve. So... Yeah, I mean, that's been one of the biggest blessings of this entire process is getting to be the kind of lawyer that I wanted to be. You know, I wanted to help people and having a setup where I'm fortunate enough to be able to choose my clients and say, yeah, I believe in your case. I want to help you. You deserve an advocate and I'm going to show up for you. And, you know, get, they get really personalized service because of that. You know, I mm -hmm. always answer the phone. I'm always willing to talk it through with them. We talk, you know, go through every step of the decision-making process in terms of, are we going to continue to move forward? Are we going to, are we going to take this offer? You know, so that's been awesome and yeah. really keeps me invigorated. Does it also, the choice to be selective about what you take on, does that also allow you to sort of control your work-life balance too? Yes, for sure. I mean, there have been periods where I have, you know, kind of stretched to my my upper limits and I've gone, oh, I'm not super comfortable here, you know, and if I stretch any further, I am going to have to expand, which is not necessarily a terrible thing. It's just not how I'm currently, that's not the model that I currently have set up. Yeah. I don't know. I have been thinking about that a little bit more lately, honestly, thinking about bringing in an associate and that's exciting, but it's also, it adds a completely different layer, both financially in terms of management, in terms of, you know, you have to make this person happy and make sure that they have what they need and being an employer. I've learned that in terms of having paralegals and assistants in this process, but I think the next step is dealing with a, another lawyer. <laughs> She's going to have 25 lawyers in like five years. Just wait. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Marina and I are going to ask her to hire us after this. <laughs> no, but, but it's, I, I really do think it's awesome that you're at that juncture where you can make that decision of, do I want to bring someone on? Do I not? It's great that you have that sense of control over that situation where it's like, yeah, if I want to take on more business and bring on more lawyers, to work on those cases, I can. If I if I don't, I have the ability to say no. I, I don't want to also, you know, take on the responsibility of being an employer of another lawyer now. Because, yeah, that I would assume, you know, as a partner at this firm, it has its challenges. You know, to you're trying to be accountable to other people. People are working for you. They're relying on you to give them direction. They're relying on you to address some of their needs. So, it's a whole other can of worms. Worms in terms of responsibility. So, yeah. 
more personalities to, to, to deal yes. with. <laughs> Lots of fun. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're not just focusing on, you know, you're focusing on managing everyone <laughs> and all everybody's needs as opposed yeah. to just you. In my circumstance, it's, you know, me and the client and I assist yeah. or my paralegal, which is nice because I can be very client focused. Yeah. Well, it would always make me laugh because Alex would tell me, you know, go out on your own. This is years ago for, you know, I've known her for quite some time. And I would always just say, well, where, where am I getting up my cases? And she'd just say, oh, they'll just come. And I'm like, I, I don't think that's true. And, and of course she's proven to me that that is true for her. But I think that a bigger part of that is that, you know, she built this reputation with it. Cause again, like she said, it's all referral based, right? She showed all of these lawyers how good she is and they can say, Oh, you know what? I want to send this case to Alex. Like, I don't think that that applies to everybody. I don't think that people can just rely on, you know, attorneys looking at them and saying, Oh, this person's excellent. I know they're going to handle all my cases and the cases just kind of come to them. So I don't know, but I, I, I you mean, there aren't like cases just walking around outside that'll just show up if you like, you know, start your own office. No, I, I think that's absolutely right. I think Alex is probably being modest and not sharing with us that, you know, that she has a reputation and she has the connections and she built those connections. That network didn't show up. It's not, I, I don't know. I could be totally wrong, but I don't think it's a, if, if you build it, they will come, you know, it, well, it, except for that people works, are right? always getting in injured and people are always getting fired. And so <laughs> there's an aspect of it, especially with employment law and personal injury, these awful things happen to people regularly. Yeah. And so that there is a need for advocates out there always, you know, yeah. so, but there is a lot of people that want to be advocates as well. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. I mean, we can thank the defendants for their awful behavior for the, you know, business that we have, but <laughs> yeah, no, but there is a saying that like, you know, there's, there's plenty of lawyers, plenty of good lawyers with no work, you know? So I think it's a, you know, what you've been able to do is a testament to your skills and reputation, Alex. So. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I do think that there is another business model out there, which is, you know, the advertising business model where you're not paying referral fees. I mean, if you want to talk about it, that's probably a more efficient financially from a purely financial standpoint is to yeah. try and bring in your business with advertising and then have, you know, a way to handle those intakes. And then you're not paying referral fees, but you may not have the same quality of cases coming in the door all the time that you do when it's already been screened by another lawyer, which is one of the reasons that I like the referral based model, because I know that when a classmate from Loyola brings me in a case, they already have kind of a pretty good sense of I like this person, I think that they yeah. have a good case. And there's sort of a, like a pre screen element that is very helpful. Yeah, certainly better than like the leads you're getting from, I don't know, like advertising on a bus or, a, you know, right. on TV or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> no, there's not. <laughs> Everybody has their own style. So I know we've talked a lot about the upsides and just a lot about your story, but what are some of the things that you found challenging or that were kind of different than being at a big firm when you went out on your own? And what did you do to make it easier or how did it get easier ultimately? That's a good question. Well, when I had my son, I ha was at a firm that offered six months paid maternity leave. It was awesome. And I was able to be with him and not have to worry about it. And I, you know, he actually came early. I walked out the door, gave birth, you know, 
10 or 11 weeks early. So it was very unexpected. And there were all of these coworkers who were able to step in and take care of my caseload at the drop of a hat. And I'm not saying it was easy for them by any means, but there were people who could pick up and the business kept on going and everything was okay. And the clients were okay. And the cases were okay. When I had my daughter, it was, you know, a year after I'd started my own firm and I didn't have a maternity leave. And I was on a conference call, I think, while I was in the hospital, you know, three days post C-section handling something that I needed to handle personally. I had previously set up, you know, prepare. Of course, you have to prepare in a way that you don't you, anybody needs to prepare for maternity leave, you know, handing off your cases and stuff like this. But when you're on your own, I had to figure out how to set up an infrastructure to make sure that everything would be handled. And that was a big, you know, you had to imagine all different kinds of scenarios and and have all different kinds of contingency plans in place and have people who are willing to support you that are not actually part of my prayer role. So that was a big challenge. And I guess you don't necessarily think about that as much, you know, like who, who's going to be there if you can't. And yeah. that can be a little bit scary sometimes. Yeah. Working two to three days after a C-section sounds pretty darn scary <laughs> to me. <laughs> Which, but it, and it means that, you know, I don't necessarily, I'm not free for vacations. I'm always needing to be responsive to some degree. And I do have people in place who can cover a quick CMC for me if I'm out of town or like on maternity leave, I had another lawyer who would do that for me. But that was that that's kind of a little bit of a a downside. But then the the upside is that there is more flexibility in other areas, you know, in terms of time and how I spend it and when I am where I am, etc. Sounds like there's like more flexibility sort of in the day to day. But yes, there's no like truly unplugging. There's no like true vacation. No, so-and-so is handling this case while I'm out for two weeks. It's like, no, right. it's your firm. It's your case. You're done. Like, you know, you're right. on the hook. But I never really felt like I could do that anyways. Like if you're as a lawyer, do <laughs> yeah. we ever really mentally unplug from our cases? That's, Even that's regardless right. yeah. of where you are, that's kind of a personality thing, I think too. That is, yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. But. Well, any closing types of questions that you have, Marina, for Alex? I mean, I don't know. I just had a comment. Of, really? <laughs> or closing uh, comments. Sorry, you don't have to ask a question. You could just share yeah. your thoughts. No, I was just going to say that it sounds like I can see the differences between practicing on your own versus at a big firm. And the fact that it takes a lot of planning and almost sometimes crystal ball planning of, okay, what's, you know, where, where am I going next? What am I doing? And especially with, I'm, I'm a little, hor- I'm still horrified about the C-section story. I'm sorry. I can't stop <laughs> thinking about that. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's true. I mean, we do never unplug. I, I just think, I, I know it's all very interesting to me. I, and I'm also very, the other thing that I thought was really interesting was the business thing. Cause that, the business part is what terrifies me. But the fact that you said only 5%, 10% now is, is interesting. But again, I think that kind of depends on how big, right, how big you want to grow. I mean, if you're going to grow into a 20 lawyer firm, the business aspect, I'm sure, would get a little it'll, bit more. It'll, it'll creep back up. Yeah, you'll have yeah. to. It'll, right. get, it'll get more challenging. But you find ways to cover the areas that you don't want to handle. Like I have a great bookkeeper. I have a great accountant. I realized that that was something that I needed to outsource. And so the pieces that I took more time with at the beginning you know, I don't do that myself. And you have, and I imagine if you grow, 
you know, you have your business manager and you have, you bring in an intake person or you have your HR and, and it kind of, you know, ideally you have ways to manage the amount of focus on the business stuff that you don't want to deal with. You figure out where to, where to put that. That makes sense. I mean, I kind of think about that with some of my cases too, right? <laughs> you know, so if you want to get somebody else involved, a vendor or third party, sometimes it's something that you, you know, you get them involved in your case. It's kind of similar where it's- Yeah, like outsource it, outsource yeah, it. If, right. If it's yeah. not something that you, you're you good at or you don't want to, you know, spend the time becoming good at it, you outsource it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is all very interesting. And Alex, I really appreciate you coming and talking to us. We've kind of grown in our careers together really throughout the years. So it's been really fun to watch, you know, again, as little baby law clerks, as you know, we thought we were so smart and, you know, knew everything about the world, but to watch, <laughs> you know, each other grow and, and watch what she's done now with her own, her own business and her own law firm. And it's been really fun. And I, I just really, that's, I, that's why I invited Alex here because I thought, well, shoot, I think she should tell everybody about this because I love hearing about it. So why not? <laughs> yeah. yeah no, people talk about this all the time, like talk about this stuff privately all the time. So why not share with people that are out there that are considering going off on their own or, or and, and maybe you've convinced them to do it. Maybe you've convinced them not to do it, you know, help make that decision easier either way. Yeah. So right. we're grateful yeah. for that. No, it's been amazing growing with Marina and Marina has been a key part of me being able to feel confident out in my practice. I can always call her, you know, how many times have we had conversations about case value? What do you think about this? What, or, or civil procedure? What do you think about this? So she has definitely been part of my network of other smart kick butt lawyers that I can rely upon for advice because as a solo, I need those people. So Thank you, Marina. And it's been so much fun to watch you grow this partner here. <laughs> yeah, Marina's been an amazing part of my my growth as a lawyer here and having someone to bounce those ideas off. She's done the same thing for me. So I, I guess the common thread amongst all of us, whether we're at big firms, have always been at big firms or have gone off our own, is you need, wherever you are, you need that network of other lawyers and, and support, you know, to bounce ideas off of. And to talk to. So, you know, I'm grateful to Marina for that. And and it was really nice catching up with you, Alex. Yeah. Kind of like like, and the law school, not knowing what you're doing or what, what you know, I, I had no idea about what you're going to do, what type of law you're going to practice or what you're going to do. And, and here I am 10 years, you know, 10 years later, catching up on that. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you guys. Well, this has been thank you for joining us and thank you for sharing and, and being so open about this stuff. And, and we're very grateful. Where can people find you online if they want to look you up? SteelCooperLaw.com is my website. And that's S-T-E-E-L-E, Cooper? Yes. Law.com. That's it. And I'm sure they can reach out to you. Is there any way that they should reach out to you if people have questions or anything or want to pick your brain and don't want to talk to me or Marina? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys, anybody can reach out to me through the website. I think the phone number is on there. My email is on there. That's probably the easiest way. You can always find me on LinkedIn too, I'm sure. <laughs> well, thank you, Alex, for, for spending the time with us and being so open and sharing with us. And, and thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks, Marina. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Civil Action, a podcast of Cabotech LLP. If you like what you heard today, please go online and subscribe. Leave us a comment and share this podcast. You can find us on all social media platforms at Cabotech LLP. You can find our website at kbklawyers.com. Please reach out to us if you have any questions or if there's anything you want to hear us discuss on the air, or if you want to come on and maybe join us and talk to us. We appreciate the feedback. We'd love to have you. Thanks very much.